0: been away for a while we're back and we've actually got transfers to talk about this week we've got transfer news to talk about lots of speculation around players right now it's coming up to the transfer window or well, we're kind of in what normally would be the transfer window so obviously there's a lot there's a bit of speculation around and the f- the premier league season started last week so we've got a lot of games to talk about as well and a lot of issues around that and some other kind of Non-football related issues that have come up in the realm of football as well. So uh, it's going to be an interesting episode, and I'm joined by Johnny.
1: Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I can't imagine what you're thinking, what you thinking, about, thinking about with those about? Um, with those non-related football issues. That that must have flown over my head. But yeah, like you said, there's a lot. <laughs> there's certainly a lot to go. I <laughs> I don't know why I made a joke about it. It's not really a laughing matter. But uh, no, yeah, I wasn't best really, pleased that, with. The, I, that,
0: but I know, yeah, that I know. I yeah. was the
1: best pleased with the whole situation, anyway.
0: Yeah, it's a very serious issue. The um, might as well now we're talking about it. We might as well start with that. I think the the the, the, the um, Man City Burnley game last night, mm-hmm. which, was a, which was, I mean, a sensational performance by Man City, but I think it was kind of and rightly kind of overwhelmed by a Burnley fan flying a mm. White Lives Matter. Mm banner over the game uh with a plane. Uh, and you know, but I, I was actually very impressed by how quickly Burnley came out and condemned it officially uh, and apologised. And then, you know, obviously we had we had very strong words from Ben Mee, which I was really impressed with, what what he said as well mm-hmm. about the subject. Because honestly Black Lives Matter is something that is very kind of hot topic right now. It's a very important issue generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know it's something that is we've seen in football for quite a long time racism yep and almost every Premier League team I think every, almost every Premier League game players have taken the knee before mm. to honor Black Lives Matter uh, and uh, and Pep Guardiola actually said some great stuff last week in Man City's first game about anti-racism and how important it is and, and what the work is about and that was very good as well mm. I mean you've had Raheem Sterling has been doing a lot of anti-racism work for quite a while and now he's now obviously with, with it becoming more prominent that's going to be stepped up i think so what were your thoughts as a Burnley fan especially what mm. watching that uh happen yesterday how did you feel going, going you know watching that
1: well it was um you know i mean it, it it was obviously really embarrassing for the club and and the fact that it had the association with the club i do th- it's you know, we 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 talk about the Black Lives Matter movement really, and it it has been a really progressive movement. It's got people talking about you know a very uncomfortable topic, which is racism. And now, we're, yeah, as we say, talking about it head on, fronting it up, looking at it, and thinking, and, and, and sort of asking the questions that need to be asked. But obviously, with with the White Lives Matter thing, I mean, some people. What 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 we have with this whole uh, debate, I think you've got obviously black people and the people who want to speak up, people who want to be heard you know, after after many years of, of not necessarily being heard as they would have liked. And they are rightly protesting, they're rightly trying to get their, their, their voices heard in this movement. And then you've got people who are the complete opposite. So you've got a small amount of far right thinkers who believe in, do, do not believe in the movement altogether, you know, want to be, you know, believe in this sort of white supremacy, dominant British sort of outlook on things. And and they just condemn the movement altogether all together so you've got two oppositions but then you've got a lot of people in the middle who are just poorly educated really on on the the whole issue and you know i think i think one thing that black lives matter shown is our flawed educational system which is not really Mm -hmm. having you know it's not it's not explaining these things in enough depth and i think um i think that's something we should definitely be looking at you can say you know this person's flown a flown a flown a plane over saying white lives matter which some people have argued they've said well, that in itself isn't actually a racist thing, and it's not because white lives do matter just in the same way that other lives matter. But the problem is, is, isn't is, with the words in, in terms of what they literally mean. It's more to do with the fact that it's undermining the Black Lives Matter movement, which isn't about, again, saying that, you know, black lives are um, inferior or superior to white lives. It's about saying, you know, while people in the white community have these, they enjoy a white privilege, um, you know, while they might have their struggles, it's nowhere near as bad as people in the black community who, on top of the everyday struggles of everyday life, compete with combat racism. You know, on on daily, on daily, on a daily basis. So I think it's easy to say. You know, it's easy for me to come out, and 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 it's easy for lots of people to come out and say the guy in the plane is an idiot. This is bad, but it's not just one single idiot. You know, you go on Facebook, you go on Facebook, and you see uh, so many pages and posts that are about, that, that is, that's talking about white lives matter and they've got lots of members there and there's people that genuinely believe and some of these people you know some of these people aren't necessarily hating people they are just influenced by what they hear around them areas low low, low economically developed areas with, where 95, 96, 97% of it is are, are white working class people they haven't left their area maybe they haven't gone to university they haven't flown the nest so to speak they're surrounded by people they've known who they grew up with who are in the same situation they, they maybe read certain newspapers certain newspaper outlets and so on and take what take those words what they hear and what they see and they, they take an opinion formed on those words i won't mention those outlets or 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 newspapers but you can probably guess where i'm coming from here Absolutely. and they have negative Absolutely. create negative stigmas towards um you know certain minorities and. And when you get uh, when that opinion sort of manifests itself amongst a large group of people, they take it on board as their own opinion. They don't see it as something that they've been told has happened. They feel that they've always known it. That's what you know, that's what they know. And when that happens, it makes it very difficult, you know, for certain people who, you know, the status quo, it's always been like this. You know, all I know is what, you know, secondary opinions forming, creating and acting like primary opinions. It makes the Black Lives Matter movement really difficult to push through for some people. However, all I can say is that even though there's there's still a lot of people that are maybe not educated, some who were criminally uh, uneducated to the point where it's, you know, as we say, the guy who flew the plane over, it's embarrassing really how they're misinterpreting, you know, the importance of this situation. I do genuinely think there's a lot of people out there. I mean, Graham Soonis was one who was talking about it as maybe someone who's, who is an old-school man who didn't fully conceptualise racism, you know, back in the day and st- and maybe still struggles with certain aspects now of the Black Lives Matter movement. But there are people like that who will try and understand, who will try and get their head around stuff. And as much as it's about condemning racism, it's also about trying to educate, I think, this whole thing. And with the plain incident, as I say, as embarrassing as it is, as it is, and as it and and as shameful as it is, it's important to look, as we say, like Micka Richards said, at why he's flying this plane over. Why people are saying are agreeing with him and saying, well, actually, white lives do matter. Things are getting lost in translation. Things, you know, all right as I, as I talked about at the start education. Our educational system's severely flawed. This is, you know, emphasising that. And yeah, it's it's not a, it wasn't a good moment for the club, but. I am proud. I am happy about how Ben Mee responded, how the club responded and how looking at looking at Twitter, a large the following on Twitter was so vehemently attacking that that the man who flew the plane over Facebook slightly different. But the only following on Twitter really did hammer home the fact that not not only was this bad, but, you know, look, educate yourself and and think beyond simply saying this is bad. He's evil. Think beyond that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I grant it, mean, James. I know you asked the question on that, but I think it's one that you—it you, it becomes out of football. So I—I I, I did delve into the matter a bit more there because it's not just one yeah, isolated. I mean, I think,
0: yeah, I mean, all I would say on the actual issue is that it's important to educate yourself, read mm-hmm. books, find activists, and mm-hmm. talk, you know, watch documentaries. That's the that's, that, and then mm-hmm. and do the work. That's that's basically how we how we have to do this going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of football, I think. we we, we see racism in football often Mm. that needs to be stamped out as well this has to be part of that so that's that I think it was important to cover that because it is it's something that's that's everywhere right now and it's also in football so I tell you
1: what James though just just before we do leave that alone people like Micah Richards uh, yesterday who were talking about it very passionately and powerfully the media needs to show more of this because, you know, at the moment, people, as, as, I, as I touched on before, were getting opinions formed by secondary sources, you know, such as certain newspapers, certain outlets, with that negative stigma. A small group of elite people, as we say, creating this hole of hatred for people who are reading it, m- many of the working classes who are reading it, to look and think, Oh, I'm miserable at something. I hate something, and it's going to be these people. Or it's going to be these people, and so you've got to look. You, you think you look at that, and you think there's a small group at the top, small elite group of people that like the status quo as it is. They benefit a lot from, you know, a, a very uneven hierarchy, and and they need a way to maintain that dominance mm-hmm. at the top of the establishment, and to try and get you know those who are less privileged to point the finger at someone else, to point the finger at, at a decoy, to balance that, you need people like as I say, Mika Richards and uh, and others uh, from the uh, black community, from ethnic minority communities, to be given a platform in the media to talk about these ge- these issues genuinely. Because, you know, I've seen, well, we've, we've both seen, Nigel Farage given a lot of airtime on, on on television and also Tommy Robinson has got his fair share of airtime for someone <laughs> who is quite a, a right-wing, a far-right-wing activist. I would love to see more of those two sitting opposite on the table with a member of the black ethnic minority community because I've seen, I saw Tommy Robinson with, with, uh, I forgot who it was and uh, I'm sure people, anyone listening will know who it was, a famous rapper and I can't remember the name of him, but I think he's a brilliant guy and he schooled him on institutional racism. He absolutely schooled Tommy Robinson with facts, with common sense, with genuine, insightful opinions and, and and as i say well and he was very well researched on the matter of course he is he's a member of the black ethnic and ethnic minority communities but if we could get both sides of the argument i'm sorry there's only going to be one winner and it will expose those on the far right for what they really are which is not very nice human beings with little substance
0: yeah absolutely absolutely i think that's a good way to that's a good place to finish mm. about that i think we've i think it was like i said it's important to address that and it was part. It is part of football. It's part of what we've seen in football for a long time. Racism and um, that event was quite significant yesterday.
1: Akala but, James. Akala. Akala was the rapper who was called Tommy yes, Robinson it I remember not it? Yep. Remember that?
0: Yeah. We'll talk about the Premier League coming back in a minute, mm. but let's talk about transfers. Mm. We are transfer news central podcast, so you know it's kind of in. It's kind of incumbent on us to talk about transfers, and the transfer window isn't open yet. I'm not sure when it's going to open. Mm. Um, but but we've already had a, quite a few transfers, which is probably surprising given circumstances with the pandemic and people and football finances is not people not being certain about football finances and yeah there's been a lot of speculation as well around around a lot of players so we'll, we'll we'll go into that I think the first transfer that that happened this summer has been basically one that's already that kind of happened last summer but just. Turning a loan into a permanent move, which was Icardi, Mario Icardi, becoming a PSG player for mm. 50 million pounds, mm. which I think is a steal for somebody, mm. good, to be perfectly honest. And then we had another striker move from RB Leipzig uh, and not to Liverpool. Everyone thought that um, mm. team of Bayern was going to go to Liverpool. It seemed like it was a shoe-in a few months ago. And he was basically talking up Liverpool every single turn. <laughs> you know, after games and you know, after Champions League games, he was talking about Liverpool and Klopp and things. And he's turned out it's, he's joined now, joined Chelsea. So who's now actually signed two players before the transfer window mm. even opened, having not signed a player for a year. Um, so they're two big transfers that have happened already. What do you, kind of, what do you make of those, those two deals?
1: Well, Icardi was, you know, just good business. He's a natural goal scorer. He wasn't necessarily working for him. In Serie A, for mainly, I think, personal reasons more than anything else. So, you know, is it, it, up and possibly tactical. So, you know, it, but but for PSG, definitely represents someone who can fill the added St. Cavani void. As we say, very, just a very clinical natural goal scorer and um, £50 million is a steal. But maybe, you know, I guess it, it's a difficult one at the moment because we're in, we're, the world's entering or is in. in a recession based period and and valuations are going to be all over the place so one you know a player who may have been worth 80 million pounds 12 months ago might now go for 50 or 60 or or less and you know and it's going to be difficult for clubs to maneuver around new valuations and what who's worth what now that's going to make it that's going to make it very interesting you know transfers in the, in this period at the moment where money is more scarce than it, than it maybe it was um um yeah. in in the past but yeah, no, Icardi, yeah, really good business for PSG. And as we say, Edinson Cavani can now depart. They've, they've replaced him quite effectively. With with Timo Werner, I think, you know, Werner did talk up Liverpool quite a lot. He also talked up the importance for him that playing games regularly wasn't starting games regularly. Now, I've got to admit, I think if he'd have gone to Liverpool this summer, he wouldn't have been, you know, if they're playing, I, I don't know, against Manchester City or or, or a huge big game, for them, I I wouldn't necessarily have Timo Werner in my eleven for Liverpool because I think the front three pick themselves, you That's know. And, and Timo Werner is as good a player as he is. He's not on the level of those front three. He can he's versatile. He can play left wing strike, possibly right wing as well. But left wing and strike or left forward strike, the main two options. Yeah, I I think he's certainly guaranteed more minutes at Chelsea because he can play. Not only left side at attacker, so Abraham's in the centre, Ojiro, but he can also play as the as the main man up front as well. So yeah, I think career wise, it makes more sense for him to go to Chelsea. I think he would have gone to Liverpool had they chosen it. What what what? Reading between reading the reports, it sounds like Liverpool didn't want to make the financial um, commitment to Werner. because of course outside of the fifty million pound transfer fee, I think altogether the package at Chelsea comes to over a hundred million. I was reading, which is quite. You know, a, a a a serious financial investment uh, by Chelsea, and and you know, so when you look at it like that, fifty million transfer, but comes to over a hundred million in in altogether when it's all when everything's added up, then maybe you think, oh, okay, that is a little bit more expensive than maybe was initially suggested. Maybe link, maybe maybe is an indication why Liverpool weren't you know pulled out of the move, so yeah. to speak, but. It's a weird one for Liverpool because I wouldn't worry about losing out on Timo Werner so much, but they do have to look ahead to the future. I think the next season they'll be absolutely fine. They you, you know they don't need Timo Werner for the next season, but then you're thinking when the you know the front three aren't getting any younger. They I think Salah and Mane are in their late twenties. In one or two years they're going to be. You're going to have to make some some hard decisions, and you're going to have to be thinking of the future. Right now, the clubs are conserving the money at the moment in the in the safe knowledge they're going to be Premier League champions. And while, while they are in a brilliant position still, there is a bit of frustration from the fans that they are sitting on their laurels a bit. But just, yeah. just, just on the topic, of, just, just to briefly summarise, Vernie, yeah, I think even though he might have wanted to go to Liverpool, I think career wise, Chelsea made much more sense in this yeah. moment in time.
0: Yeah, and I actually agree with that. I think that, that was, I was, I was always a bit curious about him in Liverpool because it seemed like he really wanted to go there, but it mm-hmm. seemed like there was no place for him in their starting 11 mm-hmm. because you, you know, you can't. So that that front three is undroppable. You can't, you know, you, you you pick them whenever they're fit. I guess
1: James, though, just to counter that, at Manchester City—they've got you've got Riyad Mahrez and Bernardo Silva, who both kind of play yeah, in the same position. Aguero, Jesus, Sane, Sterling, and they've managed to make it work really.
0: But I think he wanted to play regular first mm. team football, and he even if he had started a fair, a fair number of games, he wouldn't have been a regular at Liverpool. I think. I think at Chelsea he will i mean he'll be I think he'll be a, pretty much a regular because he's something that Chelsea have not had much of this season which is a goal scorer you know i think he's got 34 goal contributions this season mm. in the league alone i think he's yeah he's got i know, he, but he's he's in the 30s in terms of goals and assists got about 12 assists and about 28 or 30 league goals mm-hmm. i think and he's 24 so he's just mm. gonna, he's going to get better he fits very much with the style of play yeah. Lampard wants to play as well, the kind of aggressive attacking style of play. You know, he's you know Lampard was crying out for finishers uh, and I think he's got one. And certainly I know that Chelsea fans, I'm a Chelsea fan, and a lot of Chelsea fans I know they're very, very excited about, about Timo Werner signing. I think it's, I feel like we pulled off a bit of a coup mm. uh, in getting him because nobody expected us to sign Chelsea to sign him. Um, yeah, again what we're all talking about Liverpool, everyone's talking about Liverpool mm. uh, but uh, like you say I mean, I think, I, mean the, the, I think if not for the pandemic he would have gone to Liverpool because they would have been able to allocate the funds to get him you know mm. and like you say it's, a, it's simply a £100 million deal over five over, over, over the period of his contract mm. um, with his wages and everything uh, and, Well I
1: guess Chelsea James are benefiting now from the, the, the amount of money they hadn't spent you know when they had the transfer ban
0: yeah, that's right, because they've still got they had the Eden Hazard money, they've got they've got fifty million pounds coming in from Morata this summer because that deal becomes permanent. They've just sold Pasilich as well to Atalanta for about fifteen million. You know, they've they've got a lot of they've got a fair bit of money and they haven't spent anything for essentially two years. So they've got last season transfer budget, they've got this season, this summer transfer budget. Mm. So yeah, I think they're in a very and from what I've heard from people, they're in a very the club's in a very strong position financially.
1: So and, I- as, and as well, you know, I mean, the the um, you know, of course, Werner can play left wing striker, and you know, we men- I mentioned that versatility, but also, you know, with the, I find you know with the Callum Hudson Odoi thing, when when Callum Hudson Odoi was sort of everyone was asking for him to Chelsea to pay him whatever he wants, I think he's on 180,000 a week. That's not looking quite as wise as it did 12 months ago. I must admit, and you know. With Tammy Abraham entering the final year of his contract, I I heard rumours that maybe he would try and Get a similarly yes. crazy wage as well, but with Timo Werner now coming in, I think the club are in a position where they could say, "Well, we're going to give you a se- you know a sensible pay ride right, because you have come a long way to what you did you know at the start of last season." He's-, he's certainly a very decent striker, and he's probably going to get only going to get better. But now with Timo Werner in, you can say, "Well, you know, if you don't agree to these terms, we're not going to bow down to your demands in the same way because we- we've got Timo Werner, also Giroud still on the books as well." So I think that will help them as well in the future when it comes to negotiating other contracts. Again, yeah. strength in depth is important because if you've got the person in front, it gives the person, you know, it, it gives the alternative who's trying to demand a better salary. It doesn't give him much much of a leg to stand on. And I do think that, you know, I do believe, and I said this at the time, I thought Chelsea had been ripped off with hudson and Doyle. I didn't think it made much sense to give such a crazy wage well, and contract... Yeah someone so young. The,
0: the problem with the, the Hudson Doy thing was that Bayern Munich were offering them offering mm. him the same money, and he had a year left on his contract, and Chelsea had a transfer ban. So his agent mm. was to, who was his brother actually, was able to push it as much as yeah, you know, as much as he could. Mm. And basically, I mean, Chelsea were paying for a potential; they weren't paying for the finished product. Still, I still think well, Hudson odoi has got huge potential. I mean, he had a massive injury, and he he, he spent this season coming back from it basically takes a long time to come back from those kind of injuries and be 100% fit again. I think. Mm. Now, and also now he's got competition for his place. I think hopefully that will push him because you know he's got to he's got to start making the most of his talent. You know he can't just mm. live with potential anymore. He's got to start next season. He has to start delivering. Yeah, and, and Tammy Hudson. Tammy Hudson, by the Tammy Abraham. Mm. Yes. I think Chelsea have got an, op- an automatic option to extend his contract by one year. Meaning he's got two years left on his contract, and which gives him a bit of breathing space to negotiate. Because I think Lampard wants him as his kind of number nine, you know, big striker up front, and Werner to play off him. Because Werner's played off a main striker, as mm. a man at RB Leipzig this season, and been very successful. Mm. And I think that's what the plan is. So, yeah, I'm sure they'll get it. They'll get it resolved, but it'll it'll take time. <laughs> I mean. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I, there's a topic I'll bring you on to just in a second. It's kind of breaking news, but just before we do get onto that, well, pseudo breaking news. Just before we do get onto that, I do think you know when you when what you're talking about Chelsea. Um, some people have been saying that maybe to uh, it, it's. It, one of Jorginho or Kante has to go in order to um in order to generate uh, well maybe not generate funds but in order to cut the squad size down because there's so many midfielders at the club. But I think I was reading somewhere more recently that that people are more coming round to the idea of having both of them for that necessary squad depth and maybe getting rid of a Ross Barkley for somebody, yes, which I do I, think, I do do think yeah, would make more sense.
0: Is. I would say Ross Barkley is a big candidate to leave mm. in some in particular if and let's move into some transfer speculation. Mm. Um, if Chelsea manage to sign Kai Havertz and Ebikis, which I'm hearing is a very strong possibility, um, that apparently Frank Lampard's very eager to have him, uh, and he's got interest in, in joining Chelsea. So, yeah, and then that was, certainly that would be the end of boss Barkley. I think mm. I think um, I think he's wanted by a few people. I think Newcastle have interest, and um, West Ham have interest in him. And to be honest, mm. I like boss Barkley as a player, and he's He's got a good attitude. He works hard. You know, he's got ability. So he deserves to be playing regular first-team football, I think. And he's played pretty well for Chelsea this season when he's played Mm. as well. And just before the break, he played three games in a row and was was superb in all of them, I think. So, yeah, that's definitely one to watch, yeah. Um, No, sure.
1: I mean, to me, I think Jorginho and Kante, though, they they play similar positions but offer, you know, different qualities. I think Jorginho's an okay tackling at best but a very very good dictator of play excellent composure whenever he's on the ball very mm-hmm. rarely loses the ball and obviously against a deep block sometimes it, you, you need someone at the back in that register kind of role to play uh, an incisive ball mm-hmm. through or to, to dictate as we say from deep to be you know, to unlock some do- certain doors where and and Cante in that position necessarily wouldn't be able to do that. But then against a team who are who are attacking Chelsea, you know, a a, a bigger team, for example, who, where Chelsea need a bit more defensive cover, it might make sense to so have Cante in there. Where teams that, you know, for example, uh, a Manchester City that are passing the ball around for fun, you know, an N'Golo Cante in there would, would maybe nice to nip nip the nip um, attack progressive attacking moves from the opponents in the bud and get. Chelsea going again the other way. So I think it makes sense to have both. And I mean Mateo Kovacic is really a, a sort of the best of both worlds in a way, isn't he? He's got he's not got not quite got Kante's uh tenacity and brilliance when intercepted but he's still very good at that side of it off the ball. And he's not quite got Jorginho's range of passing and uh you know technical brilliance, but he's still quite a good passer when he is on the ball. So he's like a he's got traits from both of those players, and I think that shows why he's done so well this season for Chelsea and Frank Lampard's team.
0: Yeah, and of course you've got Billy Gilmore who mm. was incredible in the games that he played. I've been watching him from the Chelsea Academy. Um he's he and I've actually seen the stats, he covered as much ground or more ground than Kante does in a game. And yet he's also got the kind of distribution and the creativity and the kind of playmaking of you know, your Jorginho type player. Mm. Um I actually think he's a better player than <laughs> Jorginho. Mm. Uh, I really do. I think this I think people need to keep an eye on, on Billy mm. Gilmore. And that could, that could be end up ending up what, what forces Jorginho out of the club mm. in the end, yeah. is, is the emergence of Billy Gilmore. So, yeah, I think Jorginho is an interesting one to watch this summer because there's speculation about him going to Juventus. And there, you're right, there is some news that just broke about Juventus and Barcelona uh, transfer news, that they had agreed of value for the Barcelona midfielder after. In re- yeah. Um, of 72 million or something, and I think the idea was that they try and negotiate a swap deal with Pjanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the but the caveat is that, that Arthur doesn't want to leave Barcelona; he wants to mm. stay in for his place, and he's very adamant about that. So that's an interesting one to watch because if that doesn't go through, then I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go back in for Jorginho But the problem with that is that that, that um, Chelsea want a fee, and Barcelona and um, Juventus. Probably don't want to pay a fee.
1: You've got to remember as well that Frank Lampard made Jorginho vice captain. He's also been a regular, you know, yeah. in, in his yeah. team. He's a very respected member of the squad.
0: It's a very interesting subject, you know. I mean, that's, that, that's something that's going intrigue, to uh, intrigue us, I think. We're going to be talking about that over the summer. Mm. We'll see what happens. And yeah, also, I mean, he plays sorry, he, I, the comeback, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, was, I wasn't referring to that actually. I was referring to the fact that apparently, according to several reports, David Louise has agreed an extension with Arsenal. A contract extension which is i mean i wrote a piece on this actually i when arteta commented on david louise after the Arsenal game, it, uh, sorry, when David Louise commented about his own future after the Arsenal game, he said something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, but he, he, he said something he wants, the player himself, he wanted to stay, Luiz wanted to stay. And then he said, the the gaffer, the manager wants me to stay. The people above necessarily didn't necessarily want him to stay. And I think that was down to the fact maybe 140,000 a week and apparently wanted a two-year deal. Not sure what apparently has reported being agreed, but it seems like it has been agreed. Not yes. too many happy Arsenal fans. But what I was trying to write at the time, cause, because because apparently Arteta was an advocate for him staying, was I think if you go back to when Pep Guardiola took over at Manchester City, you know, and he wanted players who could fit his style of play. So Joe Hart went straight out of the window. He was a at the time quite a respected goalkeeper. During, I mean, you know, he was a he was a Man City hero of, to many of the fans, but he was straight out of the door. No no sentiment, no sentimentality because he couldn't. He couldn't apply his his skills to Guardiola's philosophy, you know, in the eyes of in the eyes of Guardiola himself. I think with David Luiz, he's one of the players, you know, at Arsenal. He's the he's the best passer out of the out of the back from Arsenal, and I think he plays with a nonchalance, which is both maddening and glorious at the same time. Yeah, he's glorious when he comes out with the ball, and you know, he's he's contributing to um to passing moves because he does. He never do, he never looks nervous on the ball, and I think. You know, Guardiola used to say with John Stones, I love him, he's got more balls than anyone in this room. I remember he said that when City had lost a game and John Stones, were, I think, was at fault for a goal or something. He says he has got more balls than anyone in this room. And it, what he meant by that was he's going to play Guardiola's philosophy and that's what he likes most about him. Forget the fact that he he, he might not be the, as good a defender as others. Forget the fact that he might make the occasional mistakes. He's going to play Guardiola's way. He's going to not going to compromise the philosophy at all. At any point, no matter how many times people boo him or cr- go crazy at him and lament him, he's gonna st- he's gonna listen to his manager's instructions and deliver them every time he goes out on the pitch, and I think that's some that's something Louise does. I think Louise wants to. Louise is a very talented footballer and maybe not the best defender, but a very talented footballer. And yes, I think I, I would agree on that. And yeah. I think what he can do is show the way in terms of the passing way for for Arteta in terms of passing out to the back, he can start the attacks. In a similar way to how City won't have 10 brilliant passes and, you know, a really good defender who can't pass at all. They'll have 11 really good passes on the field. Even, you know, it, it, Guardiola made the goalkeeper an outfield player now in many ways, someone who can contribute to attacks. Yeah, and Arteta's and moulded yeah, back.
0: Yeah, and I agree. I mean, I mean, to be honest, uh, we'll get on to the games in a minute, but, I mean, that that performance... He put in those 24 minutes he was in uh, on the pitch against Manchester City last week. Well, that was one of the worst individual performances that I've ever seen. I mean, they literally got better when he came, when he was sent mm-hmm. off. Did, so, did John
1: Walters do two own goals and miss a penalty or something along those lines?
0: He basically, he he was at fault for the first goal. Yeah. He gave away the penalty for the second goal and then got sent off because of that. You know, it was an absolute disaster class, you know, and <laughs> Chelsea fans watching it were laughing because we've seen this from him before. He can have really great games and play really, really well, but he also is still makes these very silly lapses of concentration, which a player of his experience should not be making. I've always felt David Luiz would be better as a deep-lying playmaker because his passing is incredible. I mean, it really is. He's... His distribution is, you know, and his ability on the ball is 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 great, and it still is, you know. But as a centre back, uh, certainly in the Premier League, I just don't think he's he's all that. I, I just certainly well, two, not for Arsenal. Two, two, he two. would be a start for me for Arsenal. I mean, I really he really wouldn't. I mean, he, he's he's a liability.
1: So two small questions though, there, James. One would be: Is David Luiz Arteta's answer to John Stones in the way that, you know, Pep Guardiola used him yeah. almost as a scapegoat in a sense, but he needed him as a almost point of reference to say to everyone, this is how I want you to play out from the back. And second question is, you mentioned uh, deep lane playmaker David Luiz. Is that why perhaps his best season in England was in the centre of a back three under Antonio Conte, where he got more licence
0: to do that? I don't think it's a surprise that that was his best season mm. in England. I don't. I think because he, he had Conte covering in front of him. He had two centre-backs beside him. So it, it was made a lot easier for him because he could come out from the back and dictate the play and pass the ball around without having to worry about getting caught out defensively. You know, and yeah, but he had a great season in his first spell at Chelsea. He had a period under Rafa Benitez where he played defensive midfield mm. at the base of the midfield. And he was actually really, really good in that position that season. I always wondered why he'd never played there again, you know, but yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, Arsenal are just in such a mess right now as a club. I think the whole—it looks like the whole structure of the club is just not working properly. You know, I think Keir Darrabsham, who is um, David Luiz's agent, actually, I think, was talking about problems about with the structure of the football club when he was ta- asked about David Luiz's contract. He was talking about, you know, and about their problems with the structure of the football club, and I think. Arteta kind of alluded to that as well, you know. I mean, Arteta, this is not—I don't blame Arteta for this at all because no. he's kind of walked in and he's got just—he's—he's he's, he's just got this mess to deal with. He's basically got to rebuild the, the club and rebuild the team from, from from scratch, pretty much. I mean, Arteta is a very good coach, but he needs players who play his full play his philosophy. And David Luiz will help with that. Mm. He will, um, and also he's a strong character. Mm. You know, he's a good person to have around the dressing room. He's hes encouraging of. Younger players, you know, he's won everything. He's won everything at the top level. So um, he has that experience. You and
1: know. to be fair, James, I had to credit him when he came out straight after the game and basically said... You know, I'm I'm really sorry. This th- I know it was on him, and I know he was terrible. But you know, a lesser, a lesser, a player with a lesser character, lesser personality might have just wilted in, away. In the you know, in the in the dressing room, hidden away from the cameras, kept a low profile. But to be fair to him, he came out straight after the game, three 0 He was terrible, and he said, "Look, I'm so sorry. This is on me. It's nothing to do with my teammates. I was a, I was terrible." I mean, that—that's the kind you kind of want that accountability within this within any squad, don't you, to face yes, up to your I, own mistakes.
0: I, I him for that. I had a lot of respect for him for that because not everyone would do that. It Takes a lot of guts to come out and actually say, "Yeah, nobody else to blame but me. This is my fault. We lost because of me." You know, that's that, that says that's a lot of character. So yeah, I mean, that was a—I mean, that was the first—that was the first game, wasn't it, of the, uh, the comeback? Is a nice segue. <laughs> yep. Um Manchester City played very well, but they've, they've been very good in both games since the restart. Uh, they've looked like their old selves again. And they scored eight goals and not conceded one. They're playing some good stuff again. And he's rotated the squad as well. Sterling didn't play last night, and De Bruyne came off the bench last night against Burnley, and mm. they still won five 0 You know, mm. and so. That, I mean, that makes that, that game against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge on Thursday quite tantalising. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean,
0: I mean, the fact... A full-strength squad to, to pick from because most of the injured players are now fit again. You know, they've got Hattanoi's going to be back fit. Pulisic is back. Tammy Abraham's back. Even Loftus-Cheek is, you know, coming back. Chelsea've got a near full-strength squad fully fit for the first time this season. So that's going to be an interesting game.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it is. Personally, if you were to ask me now for a prediction, I think I'd see a comfortable City win because they are incredible. And My friend made a good point, actually. I hope he doesn't listen to this because I've just told him he's made a good point and we don't have that kind of friendship where we praise each other. But he said oh. um, he said that the, the fact that there was a, you know, Ma- Manchester City were playing without fans could be of actual benefit to them because, and I can vouch for this, I've been on one or two games, of, of, um, of Man City games. One is when, we, when they played my team, Burnley, and I think I was on a neutral game as well. Off, and I've heard it as well. Sometimes it seems like the, the, the Man City fans have been so accustomed to perfection that when something's slightly out of chink, the armour's slightly, it's not quite going according to plan, shall we say, in a small capacity. And by that, I mean, there's a misplaced pass or the tempo's gone down by, for about five minutes. They groan. You know, they get, they're quite impatient and they groan because they're that used to having 80% of the ball, scoring three or four goals, looking amazing, playing total football, that when there's a lull in play, you know, they get on, sometimes they get on the players back and there's a groan or there's a, you know, there's, there's the voice, the, there's voices of discontent. And when there's no fans, literally you can, you, they can be doing nothing for 10 minutes, but the players will just kind of go about it in the merry way. And, you know, they won't feel the, the burden of, any, of 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 having to please the the, the audience watching. And in many ways, that could be a benefit because then the, it's the other team that get annoyed. They try and press, they leave a position at you know the, one of the one of the opponents move out of position, and then they, they 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 seize on that, play it through. Because what we've seen so far, there were moments in the Burnley game, and moments in the Arsenal game, which was really boring. There were small moments, and I thought you know there's no crowd to antagonise them into playing it quicker, and it was a bit dull. But then all of a sudden, they pick and choose the moments like that, uh, cue the click of the fingers, and and then they um. And they exploit it to the maximum. So I could I'll ask you the question, I suppose, but could my friend be right in the sense, and I, I think he might be, that at the moment they're sort of benefiting from not having a watching audience.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And I actually had this argument this, this argument about Chelsea as well, because a lot of our academy players are used to playing without a crowd. Like they've played they've played in the youth cup, they've played you know, in Stanford Bridge where there's been no, pretty much nobody there. A lot of them have played you know, a lot of them have been used to playing without Without crowds and being successful, and I was saying to somebody that this might be a help for them, you know, with, the, the, with me obviously having a, an empty stadium, mm-hmm. won't be as difficult for them because they're used to it. <laughs> and they cool. used to plan together with each other in an empty stadium. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely a, something that's interesting. I mean, I think also that Manchester City, Manchester City weren't 100% sharp going into that, mm. that game. Their fitness wasn't, like, at the level that, People expected it to be, but they still managed to to win. You know, and well, for not, the
1: first 2025 uh, against Arsenal, it was so slow. And then for the first 10, 15 against Burnley, it was really slow. And it was, it, it was just like they were getting the feet into the game, just getting used to it. You know, relaxed. You know, not not feeling antagonised, as I say, by anyone. You know, not feeling the need to please thousands of people that have paid to watch and and, it, and it, I think it probably does have a psychological effect because they can play how they want to play I mean Guardiola won't mind you know but, he, he he won't mind at all you know I don't he actually accepts patience over rushing things that, that's that's what he believes in so uh, you know, I remember the first season they were at Man City. He, he wanted patient possession, and and some of the fans were getting frustrated, and some even called for his head. Obviously, they're not doing that now. But yeah, no, I I I just I think there might be some method in that. You laugh and say, oh no, but when you think about it, very very possibly, you know, there, there is a bit in that. And I mean, Foden, you know, yesterday was truly brilliant, even from a from a Burnley standpoint. I can I can watch an oppos I can watch an opposition. Yeah. And think with the eyes to say, you know what, that's that that is excellent. And there were so many actually. I mean, Fernandinho as a centre back is a is very good. Mares we knew Mares was very good, but now he's looking like Man City level good. Um because he's becoming pretty much impossible not to consider in the lineup. I mean when he first came he was very much a backup. But now he's raised his level, raised his game again, and he's the you know, he's very much in contention to start every week in the same way that Sterling is, in the same way that Bernardo Silva is, in the same way that Kevin De Bruyne is, and so on. So that's why I mean you look at Photos and say, wow, what a performance. But it's so hard to be a mainstay in that Man City team. The only ones I think who were nailed on, and and they didn't some of them didn't even play the last game, but the, there's about three I'd say that were nailed on, maybe four, and that's Edison, Laporte, if fully fit, I think Laporte plays every time. Edison yeah. De Bruyne and probably probably Sterling but uh, you know with Mahrez's resurgence you know as good as he's been you know he he didn't even play against Burnley didn't even come on so there so maybe you've only got three maybe you've only got Laporte who is you know I think second best centre-back in the league De uh, De Bruyne and Edison maybe they're the only three out of the whole squad that are nailed on if you know in, in the big games it's crazy that isn't it really
0: yeah, it is really, and that's that's the that's the depth of the squad that they have. That's why they're consistently at the top. Because, you, I mean, I had to I have this discussion with a friend that to go far in all four competitions means you're playing sixty games a season, and you're playing two games a week for a lot of the mm-hmm. season. And to do that, you need to have a strong squad. You need to mm-hmm. have players like Mariz or Bernardo Silva who are not going to start every game. You know because Otherwise, players get tired. Players get injured. You know, this is something about the restart as well, which I'm, I had a theory about. Is that the the, the size that the size that will do best in this period? Because we're going to have two games a week for the next six weeks, pretty much. Everyone is, uh, and you know, you, you're going to have the teams with the strongest squads are going to be the ones that do best because they'll mm. be able to rotate and bring in other players um, who are good enough to win them games and you know be able to rest players like manchester city will be fine yeah liverpool will probably be fine because they'll win the title very soon and then they can just they don't have to they don't even have to win games they can just you know experiment and play some academy players or whatever because it won't actually matter whether they will, well, they will be champions already.
1: So, well, there seems to be, James, actually, with Liverpool, there seems to be this sort of, in contrast to Manchester City, who buy players for squad depth, that Liverpool, it seems to be, if they don't necessarily walk into the 11 we're not going to do it. That seems to have been the case with Van Dijk and Alisson, at least, over over recent times. And there seems to be this sort of hope that the people who back up the starting eleven, a lot of them are, are already there in sort of the academy positions you've got. Williams at right back you've got Lecourie I think that's how you pronounce it at left back you've got Hover at centre back Seth Vandenberg who was a youngster bolt also at centre back Uh, Harvey Elliott I think his name is at right wing I think they got him from Fulham very very young a lot of the you know so many really young players you know and, and I think they are looking to sort of say well we want you to sort of, in, 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 de- in the desperate situation where, where one of our star players gets injured, we want you to be the people that step in and step up. And that's a lot of pressure, isn't it, to put on youngsters. But at the same time, if they wrap up the league, as we say, pretty quickly, a lot of these can be tested and we can see, you know, are they, you know, are the club right to back their youth or should, or should they be a bit more concerned about the lack of genuine squad depth?
0: Yeah, and that is a concern going into next season. Absolutely, yeah, because like we said, a lot of that squad are getting old and they're going to need to replace them. And if they want to stay at the top consistently for the next three, four, five years, they're going to have to replace some of these players with big players. So that's going to be an interesting thing to look out for with Liverpool. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think it was um. Larouki, 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 and I apologise for pronunciation. I've never actually heard his name said, but I have seen compilations and he's actually a very good, promising left-back, Larouki. Again, I'm not, before anyone says, I'm not a Liverpool development coach, so I you know, I, I, I don't have first-hand knowledge of every, the pronunciation of every single player's name. I just got the, word, the letters in the middle mixed up. Obviously, the, as you said, I think you're right to think that, uh, particularly next season with Man City hungry for blood. Particularly if they're banned from the Champions League and it gets reduced to one year. If it gets reduced to one year, I think most people will say, oh yeah, whatever, we'll go again next year. If it's two years and it still stays as two, that's when the likes of Kevin De Bruyne and co. might become targets of others. But I think they'll accept a year. And if if it is a year and the players accept a year and the manager accepts a year, then I think, you know, with the sole focus on that, I think they should be confident of getting the league back, to be honest with you.
0: Well, yeah, because if they have no European football, then... Mm. You know that 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 puts them in a very strong position. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really yeah. strong position to to win the league. Yeah, and I have a feeling that's why Pep Guardiola said he would stay if they got banned for one year. You know, because mm. with the squad that they have, even if they lose a couple of players, they could still have enough probably to win that league without if they don't have European football. I mean, mm. yeah. you know, so absolutely, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. And my theory has actually been tested as well. I'm, I've am i been watching Sheffield United and Leicester, who are two teams who you wouldn't call members of the big team. They don't have big budgets or big no. big deep squads. Both of them have been excellent this year. they have both challenging for Champions League places. But both of them have failed to win their first two games. Leicester have drawn both their games. They drew tonight um, against Brighton. They could have lost because Brighton had a penalty that they missed. And Sheffield United have drawn and and lost so far. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them because they haven't got the squad depth that other clubs around them have. You know, Manchester United, Chelsea to a certain extent. That's going to be interesting to see what happens with the top four race. I mean, obviously, Man City and Liverpool will be the top two. But, you know, third, fourth, fifth, which could all be Champions League places, Mm. if Manchester have their ban upheld. Is going to be an interesting one. So and Wolves as well, because Wolves before the before the break, when they had Europa League football, it was it was damaging their their chances. They weren't performing as well the weekends after Europa League football. And they're playing two games a week. That's basically the equivalent of Europa League football. So so it's going to be an interesting thing to see what happens. And Wolves won their first game and they played very well. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch in terms of the results that we've seen so far. Uh, mm. so the 4S is going to be going to be very interesting I've you know I've got my own kind of theory about what's going to happen but it's going to be an interesting thing I, I hope what I would like is to see Jeff, it's Sheffield United and Leicester to get into the Champions League honestly because mm. I think just having those two clubs in the Champions League would just be such a breath of fresh air mm. you know rather than having the same old big teams in it all the time you know obviously Liverpool will be in it and I would think that at least one of Chelsea and Manchester United will be in it Mm. Uh, if Man United win the Europa League they could get in that way actually so mm. you, could, you could have all five of them in it yeah that's going to be an interesting one I'm intrigued to see what happens with that and that kind of brings us to the relegation places mm. because that's more of a living playing field because you've got lots of squads who don't have that quality in it's going to be an interesting to see what happens Brighton have started very well and they beat Arsenal they could have beaten Leicester tonight as well. Uh, so they're 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 climbing up the table. West Ham they lost to Wolves. They're playing Tottenham tonight. They've got a, mm. probably got a different run in. And then you've got Norwich. I mean Norwich, to be honest, Norwich. I think are going to go down. I'm pretty sure. But mm. yeah. And what are your thoughts on the relegation kind of scrap? We call that scrap.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think I think yeah. I think Norwich will go down. I think the way they set the way they sort of went about this season was that there was there was kind of an expectancy to stay They, they wanted to stay up they had a hard fight to stay up they knew what they were all about but there wasn't the financial investment necessarily to stay up they were very 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 prudent with the finances last summer opting to largely stick with the players who got them up playing a beautiful style of football and to be fair i think we've seen glimpses of Norwich well we've seen more than glimpses Norwich have gone out every game to playing out from the back and, and you know I've played some lovely football in games the problem has been I think you know that defensively as as you know I think many people probably would have expected at the start of the season they haven't necessarily been good enough because obviously when you play out from the back you do need generally a certain level of player across the field to play in such a progressive way and to be fair they've made a good fist of it they've got 21 points on the board and they're not entirely out of the fight for to, to beat the drop they could still do it it's unlikely they are going to do it but you know they're still in with a small shout with eight games to play and they they have actually played some entertaining stuff in certain games without and i think the best thing about the whole experience well not really the best thing but a very important thing is that the money that they got for coming into the premier league has been spent on training facilities has paid off debts of the club so now they'll go down, but they'll be in, in a they'll go down having paid off all those debts in a in a safe secure place. Uh, so at least they've put the money to good use. But again, I think we're probably the, again they have still got a small shot, but they're probably down. The rest is a bit of a is a bit of a roulette. But I think and more pe- people are coming round to that thinking that it probably will be Aston Villa and Bournemouth. That's what I think. Bournemouth is an interesting one because Eddie Howe's done a you know he's done a very good job at getting his you know his team; it is his team. He's took them up to this level. He's got his team to play brilliant football, season in, season out. They've often entertained and they've and you know stayed up, entertaining not only their own fans but the neutrals. So they've been a real shining light on on progressive football and, and on playing progressive football and staying in the division. It's been quite the opposite to say my team, Burnley, which who have stayed up, but they've played a more direct approach. That's Sean Dyke perhaps saying he's you know is living, yeah. uh, playing within his means. Uh, although anyhow shows. You know, on similar level budgets and wage structures, I suppose that there is another way of doing it. However, at the moment, when the going has got got tough, they are struggling. They really are, and and mm-hmm. defensively just look all over the place. And it would be a shame to see them go down. But that, you know, the Ryan Fraser situation hasn't helped things either. He's a, he's one of their star players. He has been for a number of years. Now he's leaving, and he's happy, you know, to leave. Potentially seeing his club go down in the process. Of, you know, the club that that brought him to gave him the status, brought him up to where he is now. There's a lot of arguments for and against him refusing to play, but it's it's not a good look, particularly for, you know, fans who adored him during his time at the club. And Aston Villa's a strange one as well. I mean it was a kind of trigger happy transfer approach, a bit like Fulham, I guess, in many ways. However, of a few of last season. But with Villa I did have some hope because You know, some of those players who they signed had already been on loan, so they're already kind of integrated into the squad. And the standard of play they were getting, you know, generally was quite good. They brought brought Burnley's captain, Tom Heaton. You know, that's a good signing on paper and it has worked out quite well, but he has been injured. Uh, And that's a big loss at the moment, I think, for them. Leader as well as a very good goalkeeper. As I say, they signed a few other players who were out, who who were initially on, on loan and they've made the permanent but they've also added um in other places as well you've got Samata, Trezeguet, Douglas Luiz. They've obviously still got John McGinn and uh Jack Grealish uh who I think are two brilliant players, brilliant creators and you know could get into virtually any team in the bottom half, Grealish and, and McGinn. I mean everyone talks about Grealish but McGinn's a really good player as well. So yes, you've got two fantastic. two brilliant creators there. Spent a lot. They shouldn't be going down. They really shouldn't. Individually, player for player, similar to Fulham, really. They shouldn't be going down. Obviously, at, at, at Villa, though, I feel like, and this seems to be this the case, that Dean Smith seems to be a really nice, well-rounded guy, lovely coach, wants to play attacking football. He has done that. Uh, he got them up. It feels like, you know, he's a bit unsure where to go here because sometimes Villa are getting a bit unlucky. Sometimes they're getting pasted. They they narrowly lost to Chelsea, but they were thumped just before the break by Leicester. They were thumped by Man City in January 6-1, I think. But then they played Burnley and played Burnley off the park on New Year's Day. So there's been a mixed bag, really. Sometimes when they turn up, they've got some brilliant players there who can win games for them. And as I said, McGinn and Grealish would walk into most teams in the league. Heaton's a brilliant captain. Uh, defensively, other than Tyrone Mings, it's a bit. Uh, mind you, Matt Target's not not too bad a player. I think Courtney Howells, who uh, who plays next to him, or, or or Engels, Bjorn Engels, they they flatter to deceive a little bit. I mean, you know, there's been a bit. They're not quite on the same level as Mings and, and, and Target on the other side. But it does strike me as a as surprising, and it, you do, you do look at De Smith and think there doesn't seem to be the mutiny that there was at Fulham. The, the, there there seem to be a bit more method in the in the players that were being brought in. Yeah. They shouldn't really be here, and and it, they might at this stage they might go down with Dean Smith. He got them up. He's a boyhood Villa fan. The fans do like him. The fans won't resent him. The, you know, there's a lot of love for Dean Smith. But if this was just another manager who didn't have the connection with the fans who didn't bring them up, then you know you'd be saying, well, his position's untenable because that's not that's too good a squad to go down. And if and if they, and if they do go down, which they could well go down, Grealish could get into a you know he'll have his suitors. But as I say, McGinn as well. I mean, McGinn could shoo-in for you know, you look at Arsenal's situation. I mean, McGidd are getting Arsenal's team, and getting maybe Leicester's team. He's a very, yeah, very I, good player.
0: I think there'll be uh, people will leave if they, if they go down, and Grealish will most certainly leave. Mm. Where would uh, Grealish go? Uh, uh, well, uh, the, most of the speculation for Grealish at the moment is Manchester United. I mean, that's that's the they seem to be the favourites at the moment. Um, to, to me, I feel like, like though with, <laughs> other, with any other clubs. I mean, it seems yeah, to be that yeah. all the story I read about is from Manchester United, uh, Manchester United. I think, that, that, I mean, what I've read as well is like Manchester United are getting a very heavily favourites to get Jaden Sancho as well. Yeah, as I, I, and it's almost like I saw one one Dortmund journalist reporting that basically one of the reasons that Jadon Sancho didn't play in the last game for Dortmund is because his head's already at Manchester United. I saw that, yeah. I saw that. Uh, and so that I mean that was very interesting. I think uh, there feels a the kind of inevitability about that as well, um, that Sancho will go to Manchester United, uh, and, and if they got Grealish as well, I mean that's mm-hmm. you know that's incredible uh, in terms of attacking talent that they would have.
1: If Man United got Sancho, I feel like that would be their summer business done because it would be a very sizable fee. And obviously, with the world as it is at the moment, even Man United will be hit by that, will be affected by that. And the way they go as yeah. a club, I mean, you know, Sancho, I think they can get him because they're a financial behemoth anyway. Manchester United, huge, huge club, uh, lots and yeah. lots of money. But that would represent a serious financial outlay, would improve the team no end. Obviously, I, I you know, I feel a bit sorry for Daniel James. I feel like he's a pretty good player. OK, he's probably not a, a regular Man United starter player, but he's certainly a squad player. He's got his he pace to burn. I mean, you, you won't find many people quicker than Dan James. You won't find many people as as honest and hard-working than Dan James. I think just maybe in some of the bigger games, his lack of world-class top-end quality as a as a wide player does show a little bit. But no, if they get Sancho... And, and the Grealish thing also depends on, on, on Paul Pogba. I mean, it, again, I thought Paul Pogba, when he came on against Tottenham, was outstanding. I think if... If United can yeah. keep him, which and you've got to remember, the world's very different now in terms of in terms of the whole coronavirus situation, in terms of all the world upheaval. It, it's going to take a while before it gets back into his feet. So if Man United can convince Paul Pogba to give it another year, I think he'd still have another year left on his contract. And, you know, it, it'd be guaranteed playing regular football until the Euros, at least. Then maybe you can assess after the Euros. Then they have got one hell of a team. I mean... You know, Paul Pogba. I think Fred's actually very. I think Fred's very underrated now. And uh, you know, if you have got Fred sitting next to Paul Pogba, or it doesn't have to be Fred, it could be Scott McTominay, it could be revitalised Matic. And then in front of that, you've got Sancho, uh, Fernandez, Rashford, and Martiali. Maybe maybe the weak link out of those six, but still someone who could probably get 15 goals a season if he plays with those guys behind him.
0: Yeah, I think you could see Sancho and someone else wide with. Rashford is the focal point
1: but I think Rashford um, benefits really from being you know uh having that extra room out wide a bit like Ronaldo I mean Sarri's yeah, contemplating Ronaldo they
0: don't them. seem to have a, I mean I'm not 100% convinced by Marshall as a no as a striker I think
1: I feel like he's a bit like the fall guy at the moment though isn't he because he's in, yeah. in essence sort of He's there as the striker, probably because the club prefer Rashford as a prospect over, over Martial. And Rashford benefits more from being out wide, which I think Martial does as well, to be fair. But Martial in the striker position, yeah, uh, yeah. Does, he lingers around, doesn't he? And, and that distracts players. It draws defenders in. It opens up spaces in behind where Dan James can run. Rashford can get into spaces. Fernandes can latch on. I think, to be fair to Martial, one thing I think he is, I think he's quite good in, in small spaces. In small space I think his footwork's very good. I think he can do nice little layoffs. I think he can do nice little flicks and back heels and he can be quite a quite um a nice tri- tricky little player in, in one sense. I don't you know, I don't think he's a player who, you know, given the service, I don't think he's a twenty twenty a twenty five goal a season striker kind of person. But I think he's someone who can sort of help the team in a way. He's not gonna work his socks off necessarily, but he is a presence there, can contribute to pulling people out of position, can make little neat runs, can make little neat flicks to keep moves going, to, to thread a teammate in, to flick the ball to someone just be just behind him. So I think while I think there's more areas of concern than strike, but I think in the long term, I think United will end up getting, you know, a proper striker. But at the moment I think probably a more pressing concern is, is right wing. And then maybe a centre back for Maguire. And then I think probably the striker comes into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the reason I suggested Rashford for, for up front was really because I haven't been convinced by Marshall and um, because they've got a lot of wide players. I mean, if they get Sancho, they've got a, they've got an abundance of proper wide players. So, I mean, I wasn't really suggesting that um, that um, Rashford should play there permanently, but they do need a striker. I mean, they really do. I mean, I, I, they, they would really benefit from someone. I mean, someone like Raul Jimenez would be fit for them. You do know, wrong. If you had Rashford and Sancho either side of him, that's quite some attack. So, yeah, but yeah I mean, Manchester United's transfer business will be interesting, but I, I have a feeling Sancho's going to end up there. And they did play Rome. I mean, Pogba was superb against Spurs. He really changed the game. Uh, yeah, and, he was uh, excellent. Seen him play for quite some time. It looked like the old Paul Pogba. So, well, not
1: for, for me, James. I think if it, uh, an, you know, an unformed Paul Pogba's only bettered by Kevin De Bruyne as a midfielder in the Premier League. I don't think I mean, there's I a better. It's world class yep. Don't get me yep. wrong. I,
0: have, I just haven't seen that for, no. for yep. a long time. It's been injured. Um, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, um, Manchester United start with a draw against Spurs with a couple of disputable decisions. Mm. <laughs> penalties to Manchester United again. They seem, to be, they seem to get a lot of penalties. The first, mm. the penalty that actually they took and scored from was probably a penalty but the, the second one you know Hannah referee gave that the penalty because it was in no way a penalty no um, you know that's been the only kind of VAR incident that we've had actually in mm. the restart which is interesting people haven't noticed that
1: but oh, and the, the goal and the goal that never was given in the and, Sheffield United
0: uh, and the Sheffield United goal that was not given and that mm. was and they actually admitted the mistake didn't they afterwards mm. That um, they got that wrong I mean that that's I mean, when you think about it, that could that point that um who was it they were playing? I forgot who they were playing, but it's a it's a team that's near relegation. Aston Villa. Yeah. Aston Aston Villa. Yeah. If Aston Villa survive by one point, you know,
1: yeah, <laughs>
0: that's going to be controversial. If Sheffield United miss out on Champions League by a couple of points, mm. that's going to be controversial because it'll be a bad decision that they admitted was wrong that has changed change the change the future of of, of at least one maybe two clubs so that's yeah that was i mean that was huge that was there's no excuse for getting that wrong really to be honest with the technology absolutely no excuse and so yeah that's but that's been the only real those have been the only real controversial decisions that have come up and um vr doesn't seem to have got in the way of games that much no the return which is actually a good thing because it was almost happening every game or every recap mm. certainly uh, that there was some BIR decision that was going against the, you know that was going wrong that wasn't being given or done properly so mm. I guess that's a good thing um, mm. but, you know, It hasn't really been a disruption mm. yeah um, and it's good to I mean it's, it's just it's good to have football back again honestly you, you know with all the things that have gone on it's nice to have have been able to sit down and watch a bit of football no,
1: it has yeah I mean again I I, I think it's um, I think when people try and spin it though and, and you know I think some of the government uh, representatives said oh this is this is for the fans well it's not really for the fans I mean it's for the um, you know it's for the big financial um you know, investment that 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 comes with the Premier League, it's for the it's for the benefit of the economy. It's for the benefit of lot uh it's a bit for the for the financial benefit of lots of different parties. But you are right. I do think um even though it's not quite the same and uh, it isn't necessarily for the fans so to speak it is nice to have it back in, in some capacity and i think they are doing quite a good job with with how with how it's done i'm not necessarily convinced by the five substitutes to be fair but um i do yeah. think that um on the whole it, it is you know just like germany germany did a fantastic job starting it all off you know last month have led the way through this pandemic really in europe and you know others have tried to follow suit and we've started quite well as we say it's nice to talk about stuff again like this it's nice to it is a kind of distraction from the issues that are surrounding that have been surrounding us during this during this pandemic and also uh it's nice to get a fancy league uh fancy premier league back underway um i'm doing terribly this year but um i blame I'll that on being on, i'm being on i was oh. on the other side I was on the other side of the world, so I blame my I blame that for my struggles in remembering when deadlines were and what when football was on. So time zone issues, but yeah, no, it's brilliant to get that going. It's just a bit of a laugh, and uh, you know, uh, as you say, it gets people talking about things again. It's nice to be talking about football again, really, isn't it? It's in the grand scheme of things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think somebody said of the of the of the of the unimportant things, it's the most important. Also. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think that's a really uh, good. Really good way of uh, summarising.
0: Yeah, because it does kind of give, give you a lift of the spirits a little bit, you know, getting back into the kind of emotion. And one of the funny things I've noticed is like, the fake crowd noise on um, on Sky, mm. um, has been <laughs> quite interesting. Um, because at first it sounded like it, they'd taken it straight from FIFA, you know. Yes, <laughs> I was actually literally hearing different clubs' chants at at the wrong games, kind of thing. I was. Yeah. I think I'd heard an Arsenal chant at the Spurs Man United game or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just like, get this right, but I think they've sorted it out now. Let's I think get, it just does
1: look. work. Well, I think it adds to the experience. I think um, you Definitely know, uh, does. Yeah. It, it does because you'd be amazed how it, it, football's more of a, it's a spectacle, really, isn't it? It's not just about eleven players kicking a ball around. the The whole atmosphere thing is an actual thing and an important thing when it comes to watching a match and broadcasting matches. You know, you don't. It, it's very old when it is absent. So you're right. I think it, it it's a good thing that and I mean I quite liked the the idea I think in Germany and some other some other um people have done it as well where I remember watching the Munch and Gladbach game and they'd ask fans to pay to be in the stadium and the, the, the money that they paid to put cardboard cutouts in the stadium went to charities. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: went that's to charities quite at the time. And, it, and, it, and uh I like that. I'd actually thought that there was a point where I was I was watching and there were there were sort of cardboard uh, cutouts all around the stadium. I was thinking Oh yeah, you know, it almost, you almost had the illusion for a second that you were watching it. I and mean, I think the crowd noise went up properly, the sky and, and and so on. I think that does help as well.
0: Yeah, it does. I mean, I've watched it without and with, and it's a totally different thing. Mm. It really is emotionally, even mm. because when you watch it with a crowd, you get int- you get caught up in the emotion of it, the intensity of it. When you watch it without, there's none of that. You know, it's uh and it's a different experience. So you know that's uh, that's very very interesting, yeah. To to just see the contrast and it just like you say it proves that the atmosphere does make a difference to games. Because if if we're feeling it just watching it, then imagine what the players are feeling when you know it, it adds credence to that kind of thing about the Anfield roar. You know the the everyone talks about the the you know Anfield Knights in the Champions League and the atmosphere. Mm-hmm and how that makes a difference. And, and I think it's true. I think it's true. I think it's there's an energy that's created when there's a lot of noise in the stadium and a lot of supporters in the stadium. Mm. Even by the sound of it, uh, that the, the, the changes the dimension of, of it. Yeah, for sure. Mm.
1: Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And I'm sure many people do on, uh, as, I've, as I've seen on social media, yeah, many people are in agreement with that. And uh, like like you say, I mean, for all the you know, for all the fact that it that it is mainly to satisfy financial parties, it is providing that entertainment again a little bit. So that is nice. And it's also nice to see so many games free to air, you know, we've never seen that before and yeah. the BBC having its own its its yeah. own Premier League games for the first time ever. So that's a nice thing and um you know, I guess I maybe I suppose it changes the way we look at football entirely, I suppose, now with uh yeah. you know, if I I very much I, I very much doubt it because I think when the period all comes to an end, I think it'll still the, the majority of games, all, all of the games will still be with the big payers, the big investors. Uh and that'll that'll probably always be the case which is guys and BTs or, or uh, you know, charging subscription fees and so on. That's just the way the Premier League works. The Premier League model works on that. That's how the players get the big wages that they do. That's how the clubs can afford the big transfer fees that they they pull off. There is something nice and authentic about being able to watch it on Freeview TV, you know, for just, just, just for, you know, it it sort of brings the sport home in a sense, even though, even though it's, even though the, the empty stadiums suggest that it's not really not really yeah. home but yeah uh, I don't know it's, it's it, it, all in all good that it's back and uh, nice to discuss it with you and other people
0: yeah, yeah and I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to this podcast yeah. and uh, yeah we'll be uh, doing a few more because there's a lot of games coming up and mm. obviously there'll be transfer speculation I'm sure in the next few weeks as well Um, mm. so yeah it's going to be uh, going to be good so thanks for listening everybody yeah um, catch you next time
1: yeah see you later guys